From KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, this is program number three of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and glasses and contact lenses no longer help them live a normal life to people like me who are totally blind and to sighted parents who have blind children, to blind parents who have sighted children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, we will learn how to become a delegate to political conventions. Using guide dogs as guides and races instead of human beings, questions to ask before getting out of a car by yourself, apps to help find businesses in your area, and why buying a prosthetic eye can be a real trip. In 2008, I was an alternate delegate to the Democratic National Convention in Denver, where Barack Obama was nominated to be the Democratic candidate for president. When the delegates were on the floor, we alternates were in the balcony, celebrating our alternate lifestyle. What I learned from that Even if you're only moderately involved in your party's politics, you can become a delegate or alternate to your party's national convention. And almost anyone can become a delegate to their state convention. And the place to start is at your local precinct caucus. And part of what they'll do at the caucus is elect people to your county convention. When they announce elections to the county convention... I always have a friend immediately nominate me. At your county convention, they'll select delegates to the state convention. In all the years I've been going to county conventions, I don't think they've ever had enough people volunteer to be delegates or alternates to the state convention to fill all their slots. It's that easy to go to your Republican or Democratic state convention. You can also go as an observer if for some reason you can't go as a delegate. While you're signing up to be a state delegate, they will also ask for volunteers to be delegates to select candidates for offices like state senators and representatives, district attorneys, and delegates to your congressional district elections. When they say congressional districts, raise your hand and start yelling, me, me because that's the easiest place to be elected as a delegate to the national convention. The meetings where you choose candidates for state representatives, senators, and district attorneys, and the candidates for Congress are called assemblies. 
Congressional District 3 was held in the same conference center as the state convention. My friend Joe Beaver, who started Democrats with Disabilities, isn't blind, but he is in a wheelchair as a result of having polio 70 years ago. A week before I was running, he called and told me that he was elected to the national convention from his congressional district. I use a wheelchair, and I was going up and down the uh, aisles and just talking to the people on the end of the aisle and handing out a flyer and telling them that I am running as a representative of the disability community, one of the largest unrepresented minorities in the nation. I would hand them that literature, give them a big smile, and tell them, leave it to Beaver to help them remember who I am. It was successful enough that I was elected as a delegate to the uh, National Convention in 2008. So I realized that I had to do something to make me stand out from the 18 other people also trying to become delegates. So I printed a bunch of mailing labels with stick with Nick and in smaller letters, Eisenberg. And when I was waiting to go into the CD3 assembly, I walked up and down the line of people waiting to get in and said, I'm Nick Eisenberg. I'd like to be a delegate to the National Convention to represent all Democrats, but especially Democrats with disabilities. I was surprised that most people said something like, I have a cousin or brother or friend who has a disability. And I think that's really neat. Then, with their permission, I would stick a Stick With Nick sticker on their shirt or coat. And then I'd say, wow, you look so debonair in that sticker. It worked. Well, it worked once. I wasn't elected to be a delegate in 2012 or 2016, and now I'm out of stickers. The other way to become a delegate is to be elected at large. That's much harder unless you're well-known statewide in your political party. That's because the entire convention votes for people who are running at large. And many of the same well-known people are elected over and over. If you've never been to a precinct caucus, it's a good idea that you talk to your county chairperson first. If your county doesn't have a phone number, go online to find the chairperson's number. You may also have to fill out a form online indicating that you'd like to be a delegate to the National Convention. At the convention, I did attend all meetings for people with disabilities. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler on KDNK, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. That visually impaired runner is Thomas Pinnock. Last March, he made history when he ran the New York Half Marathon with a trio of guide dogs. It's the first known time that a blind athlete competed in a race with service animals. Pinnock is also the CEO of the Guide Dog Center, Guiding Eyes for the Blind and has started a program for other runners with low vision to be matched up with specially trained dogs. 
The tactile traveler's Jason Struther visited the Guiding Eyes campus in Westchester County, New York, and went for a run with Thomas Pinnock, as well as some four-legged friends. Well, I'm going to get uh, Wesley out here. He uh, is a big black lab. He's Thomas Panic lifts open the hatch at the back of an SUV where Wesley, the big black lab, has been patiently waiting. We just arrived at a park where students at Guiding Eyes for the Blind come to practice running with guide dogs. Dogs are very capable. They, they can see movement better than we can. They can smell immeasurably, immeasurably better than we can. They, you know, they're really kind of like superheroes. You know? Thomas is 49 years old, and ever since he was a kid, he's been a runner. He's competed in around 20 full and half marathons. He also has retinitis pigmentosa, or RP, and by the time Thomas was in his late 20s, he had to stop running, or even walking alone. That's when he started using a guide dog. He continued running, but often tethered to a human partner. About three years ago, Thomas and his team at Guiding Eyes started training dogs to step in for those two-legged companions. Wesley was one of three canines that took turns running with Thomas through the 13-mile course of the New York Half Marathon. And today, Wesley is gearing up for another run. He's got his running vest on. And <laughs> nice bright is, yellow running vest. It's a high-vis running vest. He has on his back a small connection that is probably the size of a I don't know, small TV remote control, let's say, that I pick up and I literally will snap in a handle that connects to his back, which is about a foot long, and will help me hold on to him. Hey, sweetie. You ready? You ready? Okay, does he have his booties on yet? Yep, he's ready to go. This course is about a half mile loop around a parking lot. Wesley is on my left, and I'm holding on to the pole on his harness, which is almost like holding an umbrella, and he is currently guiding me walking at a very comfortable pace. And uh, he's very happy. He's enjoying this beautiful day here in New York. And I think he's ready to go. Wesley, yeah, he seems go? eager. <laughs> All right. All right, let's so get moving. <laughs> picking up the pace, Jason. And what we're going to do here is he is assessing everything around me to make sure that the path ahead is safe. So obstacle free, no potholes. He uh, will work around any objects, moving or stationary. And you can hear the clip-clop of his four running shoes. It's a little bit different than us. He's got 16 toes instead of our 10. So he's got more surface area on the ground, which makes him run very steadily. Okay. Dogs are running creatures. They, they love to move and I would say they're natural pace is our jogging pace. His jogging pace is my running pace, I think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's not slow today. But this literally is just a walk in the park for Thomas. Running through the streets of New York was a much different experience. Thomas ran alongside 20,000 other athletes, starting in Brooklyn, then across the East River and through Times Square before finishing in Central Park. The night before the race, he prepared by having his daughter trace his hand along a map of the course. And during the marathon, Thomas let Wesley and the other dogs lead the way. But Thomas explains this run almost didn't happen. Organizers at first didn't want him and the guide dogs to enter the race. Initially, there was some pretty tense moments uh, where, you know, 
there was a question why you can have a human guide why and my response to that was fairly simple and that is that the dog is an extension of my being uh, I use the dog every day for my mobility and taking it away is like taking my wheelchair or my cane away uh, this is how I travel and this is how I run Thomas didn't take no for an answer and persuaded the organizers to allow him and his guide dog trio to compete. He and his now retired guide dog Gus finished the race after two hours and 21 minutes. What was that feeling like when you crossed the finish line? Oh, I got really emotional. I mean, you know, it. it uh, every time I talk about it, I start tearing up. It, it, it was a lifetime journey. And I have to say, when I got across that finish line, uh, I didn't quite know that I had finished because the one thing we didn't train was uh, how the dog knows that that finish line looks like a finish line. But So we ran through the chute and uh, I kind of felt the timing mat under my feet and he slowed down to a stop and then we kind of went over and uh, the uh, it was a really nice moment. The race official, I could feel them putting the ribbon around my neck and I just took it off and I said, this, this doesn't belong to me, it belongs to the dog. I mean, I couldn't do this without him. Jason. Hi, Nick. Where can people race using their guide dog as their guide? Getting the organizers of any race on board is going to be an uphill battle. So you're going to need to negotiate. Well, guiding eyes for the blind train dogs that didn't come from guiding eyes for the blind? That does not seem like that is possible for now. Thank you, sir. Nick, thanks a lot. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler on KDNK. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Have you ever tried to find a business and you're not sure where it is? Or a place you've been before and you're not sure which direction to go? Now there's an app to help you get there called Over There. Phyllis Chavez reports from over here. It's really very simple. You download the app over there on your smartphone. Then when you want to find a business or find out what's near you, you just point your phone. The app works like you can read signs in front of you. Arby's, 260 feet, 8144S Kipling Parkway. What it's really doing is giving you information from a Google database. By using the GPS on your phone to tell what business you're pointed to. See Ultimate Self-Defense Studios, 110 feet, 8154S Kipling Parkway, number 130. When you hold the phone flat, it gives you a lot of information. When you hold the phone upright, it gives you more nuanced information. If you want to remember something like an intersection street sign or your home, the app has a way of adding it to your phone's memory. One of the really nice things about the app that it gives you instructions on how to use it on the app itself. It gives you really good instructions. Simply hold your phone parallel to the ground and point the top of the phone in any direction to hear the nearest thing in that direction. We call these announcement signs as if they were audible signs in the environment. Pointing at the signs is a little like tuning an old radio with each sign being clear when you point straight at it and getting staticky as you point away from it. This helps indicate exactly where the app thinks the signs are. Location accuracy is indicated by an intermittent buzzing noise. Loud and frequent buzzing indicates location uncertainty which prevents over there from providing reliable information. Holding the phone vertically turns off announcements and lets you interact with the clockwise list of signs around you. 
Selecting any of the items from the list displays more details. Tell us, how'd you like the app? I really liked it because it helped me to find the business that I was trying to get to. Although I need to practice how to use it much more competently, I think it's a good thing because if you're lost, you'll have an idea of where you are once you know what business is there. Okay. Are you going to use it more? Yes, I will. How hard is it to learn? It's not that hard to learn. You just need to learn how to place your phone, whether it's vertical or horizontal. And once you get closer to the business, you'll be able to get the information about that specific business, such as the business name, address, phone number, and how many feet you're standing away from it. Thank you, Phyllis. Have you ever stepped out of a car and not know what direction you're facing? Veteran White Cane Travel Instructor and Director of Youth Services at the Colorado Center for the Blind, Martin Becerra Miranda, has questions you can ask your driver to make sure you end up where you really want to go. The last thing you want to do if you are having trouble orienting yourself in a new location is get out of a vehicle and just start wandering around aimlessly. So quick questions that you can ask. Is the vehicle facing the building or is the building off to one side or the other side of the building that I'm trying to get to? Some other questions after that point when the driver does tell you, all right, yeah, the building's off to my right. Is there a certain landmark that I can be looking for when trying to locate the door? A trash can or a bench or something like that, just to give you an idea of what direction you should be heading in. Thank you, Martin. Some of us have to make occasional trips to an ocularist, the artisans that make prosthetic eyes. In the past, they were glass eyes. Now, almost everyone in the United States wears custom-made plastic eyes. I had my right eye removed in 1961. I bought my first eye at the Denver Optic Company. It really was glass. The technician at the time opened up a drawer with 50 glass eyes, marked left eye, medium brown, medium pupil. He tried a few of them in my eye socket until we found one both of us agreed looked best. They cost $25, and my insurance company paid for the whole thing. I had my second eye removed in April. Since I have been wearing the same custom-made plastic right eye for 36 years, and it was worn beyond repair, I needed to buy two. So I made another trip to the Denver Optic Company, now in the Denver suburb of Englewood. So, anything I do that's annoying, oh, I, I apologize. Well, yeah, no, I understand. Current co-owner Walter Johnson is the ocularist making my eye. Walter, who lost an eye in an ice hockey accident in high school, also wears a prosthetic eye he made for himself. He also makes shells. They look exactly like prosthetic eyes, but are much thinner. People wear them who are blind, and their eye doesn't look like they'd like it to. They cost the same as a regular prosthetic eye. Okay, we're getting really, really close, okay? Okay. And that means... I mean, that's a good thing. 
because it means we're getting close to taking impressions. Now Walter's determining the shape my eyes will have to be to move normally. Okay, now it's going to be cold and wet. Cold and wet, it's going to feel it's going to be in there, and all, all I want you to do is just try to relax when they're in there. They set up pretty quick. And now I'm going to stare at you. Make sure that they're straight. So turn your head with my hands. Looking pretty good. I'm going to clean up around where the compression material is with some uh, wet. What's in my eye now? The wax shapes I worked on with impression material on the back. And then they will become our shapes. He's carefully working the impression material into my sockets. I hope I made a good impression. <laughs> it did. Oh, good. My mother will be proud. The centering's very good. Um, the symmetry's excellent. I expect them to look that way when we're done. Now I'm off for a two-hour lunch break while Walter molds the plastic to match my sockets and hand paints them to match the prosthetic I came in with which was made to match the eye I had removed in April. Since I'm buying two eyes, Walter asked me what color I'd like my eyes to be. I could have had blue eyes or green eyes. I'm keeping them the color I was born with, which was brown with slight green highlights. Before Walter told me, I never realized my eyes had green highlights. I'm going with my natural colors because I guess that they'd go best with my complexion. If you're wondering why we're talking about prosthetic eyes on a travel program, there are two reasons. The first, there are so few ocularists in the United States, most people will have to travel to find one. The second is that they may be a lot cheaper in other countries. So much cheaper that you might be able to go on a vacation somewhere like India, buy prosthetic eyes, and still save money. If I had to pay for my eyes all by myself, I would have checked other countries. In my case, Medicare and the Colorado Department of Vocational Rehabilitation helped pay for them. If you got eyes from another country because you went there to get them, or that's where you lived when you got them, we'd love to hear about your experience. I'm going to, after I make adjustments, if I do make any adjustments, I'm going to have you hold them so I can describe where the top is. I'm back from lunch, and it's time for the big moment. The top is marked by something that you can't see. The right one has one red dot, the left one has two red dots. But you're going to judge how they go in by their shape. Everyone tells me that my eyes look like, well, eyes. They look natural and move together. But people who have known me for very long tell me that they look better than my own eyes ever looked because my eyes never looked normal, but they do now. I was so happy before I left, I burst into song. When my Englewood eyes are smiling, gleaming in the light, reflecting off the plastic, making my smile bright. When my Englewood eyes are smiling, the world is bright and gay. When my Englewood eyes are smiling, the world will go my way. When my Englewood eyes are smiling, the world will go my way.
This is the Tactile Traveler on KDNK. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Why, it's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. If you'd like to help underwrite the program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line. The program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank the following people who helped make today's program possible. Catherine Aldefer, Sophia Williams, Debbie O'Leary, Claudia Salska, Joseph Woodman, author of Patients Beyond Borders, Microsoft Disability Tech Support, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. Because we've had so many positive responses, our programs are now monthly. Our next show will be January 30th at 4.30 p.m. This has been the Tactile Traveler empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.